You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Am I recording? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you don't want an episode without you again? No, I don't. <laughs> Didn't that happen uh, once? You were, was, you were really one, quiet. It was, it was like halfway through. Was, oh, yeah. And I amplified your voice. Half. And the whole time you were like, hello, my name is Evan Jones. Because it was like super <laughs> computerized. And like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I just left it. I was like, all right. Oof. Wow. That was back when we were baby podcasters. Actually, that might have been around episode like 40. So we were still yeah. pretty... Pretty early, but I'm almost to the point where I'm like, just get rid of the whole first half. Because I every time I tell people, I to- swear I'm like, delete episodes one through forty nine. <laughs> Start with fifty, make it because yeah. that really, it really is a totally different podcast. It it's really evolved, is. it's changed. The it's so different from the content to the research to the production to the. I mean, not that there's much production, but to yeah. the the whole aspect everything's Everything different is, we're different we're much more mature about our stuff now we're not just like i don't know flying off of whatever we read on wikipedia it's it's good <laughs> um, i mean not that it's wrong i mean, a lot of people do that but i'm just saying like it's just yeah you know the thing is that we'd never done a podcast before at all and i think a lot we of also people- had never done any sort of performance or radio yeah. or talk or no entertainment or yeah, like yeah. I'm sure you were going to say a lot of podcasters either A, have already done podcasting, B, have done something else in their life revolved around, you know, whatever they're talking about or whatever. And we just kind of jumped in. and Yeah, we just did. Just, did like, whatever the fuck came out of our mouths. And you know what? We're still here. So apparently it was OK. Yeah, it's OK. So <laughs> either we one day we will take those first several episodes and put them somewhere in a vault or we'll just keep recording until we're far enough away and people don't want to go back to the beginning i think that's yeah. the goal it's like and then you get that one person who's like i'm a diehard follower i'm gonna go listen to the first 50 episodes before i got here then they go click episode one and they're like oh fuck yeah no maybe i'm not gonna do these that because i've done that with a few podcasts where oh, i jump yeah. on in the middle and then i'm like wow i really like them i want to binge everything and i'm like no. no i like where you you were about this point in time it's so like anything that you you do it's like i i never watched the first season of family guy i'm not endorsing family guy because i know how people feel about it but i'm just saying i watch it and i never watched the first season because it was just so horribly done and i don't even mean like the the crap that they do i just mean that like like the quality quality, the the jokes were bad and not Mm -hmm. bad in the bad way that they usually are but like bad and they're just not funny (laughs) genuinely bad way so it's like anything, you know, whenever the Simpsons, same thing, go back and listen to watch the Simpsons early stuff. Oh, mm. 
South Park was good. Their first their first season was yeah, so first season was also shitty, but oof. Well, that's the thing. Even if you go back even like YouTubers, you know, that have been <clears throat> on YouTube for years, you go yeah. back and watch their first few videos, you're like you were sitting Ooh. in front of a shitty webcam just talking. Yeah. What the fuck is this? You because know? I think a lot of people get into that kind of stuff and they don't really expect it to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden it takes off mm-hmm. and then you grow and you evolve and you do better. And, you know, and then you all and then what sadly happens is, as you see in like all the cartoons that I mentioned, is like that learning curve evolves much later than your production value evolves. Yes. So although... Family Guy still hasn't learned a damn thing, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. So anyways, I don't know how we got onto that. (laughs) Um, Because you were talking about deleting the first 50 episodes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a brief history of your queer story. Do not go and listen to the first 50 episodes if you haven't yet. (laughs) Um, Keep on where you're at. That's right. Just just move forward. Move forward with us. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So how was your week? My week was really good. Yesterday was David and I's sixth anniversary congratulations thank you it was also david's third uh david's youngest sister's third birthday so we went out to visit family and spent the day there and just yeah it was like a cookout that went on all day you know we showed up at like one and we left at nine so it was a good time nice that sounds like fun Mm -hmm. um other than that i've been doing a lot of reading i've been dedicating to reading actually yeah. Making sure every day I have at least like an hour to sit down and go through stuff. Nice. And I, uh, I, what's it called? Compromised with David. I'm like, um, we can spend the time together, but I'm going to be reading uh-huh. and you can lay next to me and watch TikToks or do whatever you want. So, you know, yeah. at least I'm not like isolating him and being like, no, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, been doing a lot of reading on Mania and also writing on Mania. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's about it. <laughs> I'm excited for it. This must be nice to read. It is um, because you realize uh, how much shit there is. You have absolutely no idea or no concept of. I know. Oh, I know. I would love to read. Well, I finally. It took me. I was so when I we got the kids. I was literally like last hundred pages of stamped, which a hundred pages is usually a day for me, easy. And it then took me two weeks to finish that 100 pages. So um, I'm sure that by the time this drops, I'll have picked up a new book because I always pick up a new book. How long it'll take me to read that book, who knows anymore? Because it's just, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got this book to finish and I'm a little less than halfway through. Yeah. Um, but then after that, I have the Russian homophobia book to read. Mm. And then we have to go on our little book date. Yes. And uh, pick up a book and have some coffee. So if any of our wonderful listeners have a good recommendation of something that's different or Mm -hmm. unique that a lot of people maybe haven't read, then let us know. Yeah. Are we keeping it queer related or like what are we? Anything. Anything. Any mental health. It can be history. It can be queer related. Just something to, you know, um, an anti-racism book, anything just to keep the, the excitement and the education going. That's good. I need, yeah. Oh, I love a good history book. I, but I got, I try to mix it up. Maybe like some, like, I don't know, maybe I'll read something fiction next. I won't do fiction. Yeah. But I will do anything nonfiction. There we go. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, well, I've been You trying. sound a little tired. I am a little tired. Is that okay? what two kids do to you? That is what two kids do to you. This is what my voice will sound like from now on, folks. Get used to it. So um, I'm going to have to carry the podcast. With oh, the you're going to have to carry the podcast. Hey, bitch, I still wrote <laughs> a three-part episode, okay? So 
<laughs> their kids are like all you do is work which first of all that's not true i don't know why they think that because i take them to the park every single day and by park i mean like an empty playground somewhere um or we go on a, a hike or we go on a walk every single day i do that with them and then every single day we like play some kind of game every single day we um what you call it we watch a movie together at night and every single day every single night i read them a chapter from harry potter don't tell them who the author is, but yeah. I do read them for Harry Potter. <laughs> it's really sucks because before we had kids and before J.K. Rowling became an absolute fucking monster, we had bought like all these books for our kids and like the nice illustrated Harry Potter books because mm-hmm. they're like, it's going to be the so super exciting. expensive, super exactly. like Exactly, yeah. like beautiful ones are like, it's going to be so fun when we have kids and we're going to read them the stories and show them the illustrations and... Now they're here, so we're fucking reading it, okay? And, <laughs> and like, like they say, yeah, it's not like you supported her after the whole incident. The exactly, books were already purchased. Exactly, them. they are great pieces of work. The kids really love them. So I, I also have a Star Wars one that's also illustrated. So I'm excited about that. I wanted to start with that, but you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, you so, have to like break their mind, their fantasy minds with Harry Potter. I feel like yeah, because once you get Harry Potter, you're like, well, anything can be a reality at this point. Well, they really need like more imagination i don't know maybe it's just because i grew up in a cult with seven kids and like i was used to finding different ways to um enjoy myself mm-hmm. but we're like i took them on a hike or i me and samantha took them on a hike a couple, like yesterday and i'm running around imagining that they're zombies and the kids are just like what are you doing they're only seven and eight years old. I'm like, come on. This is definitely like run around and imagine something's chasing you, right? Yeah, it'd be fun. They're like, um, <laughs> why is Evan so weird? They're looking at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely would have done that. I would have been like running, jumping behind the trees, ducking, all kinds yeah, of stuff. right. What else are you supposed to do? Maybe they're we're like, just weird. No, they're like, can we go back? I want to go on the iPad. Oh, okay. Freaking... Well, that explains it. Well, of course they want to be on the iPad, but you mm-hmm. also like I don't. I'm not one of those people that's that like believes in limiting ridiculously limiting. Yeah, their they iPad. only get 20 minutes of screen exactly. time a day. Like that's so fucking unrealistic, and the future is gonna be on screens. Like, but also you can't be on your iPad from the time you wake up until the time you right. go to bed. You have to have exercise. Otherwise, you'll end up like me. <laughs> I do need to get a, a gaming broken system, individual. <laughs> no. You need a what? I need a gaming system. Yes, um a Badly. Nintendo Switch would be good. That's what I want to do. Kids, um Nintendo, all of their games are kids friendly. Mm-hmm. And they're all generally some sort of multiplayer. So you yeah. can have both controllers and they can both play. And that's a really good safe bet and the games are about the same price as any other system. So yeah. you're not getting a discount, but you know that everything you're buying that they can play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's what I want to do. But it's just when you get the money for that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely need something else that I can keep them um, occupied. But anyways. So yeah. So the kids are good. <laughs> They're fine. I don't sleep anymore. But who needs sleep? That's what I always Not say. me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I actually wrote about that. Yeah. I wrote about um, in a blog post I have coming out. I can't give you a time because I, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know anything about it yet. It's coming from my mind as my mind writes it. But there's a part where I talk about coming down from mania uh-huh. where it's like a depression hangover. And I describe it as like the worst alcohol hangover you ever had. Plus the exhaustion of the fuel of, of, of the flu combined with the fact that you've slept two hours a night for the past month. Oh, that and that's, fun. that's a depression hangover. Wow. It's a good description. <laughs> Yeah, it's horrible. But 
I sleep real good during that time. Sleep <laughs> <laughs> like a baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Wish uh, I don't wish I had the depression, but I wish I had the sleeping. But it's fine. It's fine. That's what I tell myself. It's fine. Um, yeah. But I'm excited about our... Uh, I'm really excited about this. We're doing a three-part series, and how it drops will be different. It could be dropped over three weeks. It could be dropped over two weeks, however we do it. Mm-hmm. But we're doing a three-part series on Independent Fundamental Baptist, and I'm excited because I'm also going to turn it into a little pamphlet that you can download, share, use as a resource. Um, and... Just in general, you know, it's good stuff. It's going to be very educational, very eye-opening for the underground religious system that's operating in the United States. Yeah. That people, uh, I don't know if I want to use the word average people, but I would say like the average citizen wouldn't know existed. Like people know there's religions and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I go to church, but you don't, most people don't have a concept of this underground Network. Not really underground, but underground yeah. network of cult and control and how powerful it really is. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think that people have heard there's definitely going to be names that we're going to talk about or, or things that people are going to know about, mm-hmm. but they're not going to realize how it's all tied back to one group. Right. You know, like you'll you'll know some of the names like we're going to talk about Westboro Baptist. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Stephen Anderson. We're going to talk about groups that you've definitely heard of in the news here or there and you just didn't realize that they all come back to the same thing so mm-hmm. um my declaration in and i i don't know who would rival them is that we're going to cover the most anti-lgbtq system in america today um it has not i don't think it's always been the most anti-lgbtq system though it has always been very anti-lgbtq but um it's evolved into definitely the most you know, anti-queer hate yeah, group. It's today. become very powerful. Very, yeah. Well, at least very, very hateful. I don't, you know, it's powerful in its own way because of the fact that it mind washes all of its members, oh, and yeah. then by mind washing all the members, they then go into society and, you know, bring their negativity and everything to, you know. It, so it is. It spreads. Yeah, it's, it's like what, a disease. Yeah, you're right. It's very powerful in its control over its members. Absolutely, like no doubt about that. Um, yeah. But before we get started, make sure you download, review, subscribe, and share the podcast wherever you listen. Most of our listeners are on Spotify, which I love because Spotify, I think, is the way of the future as far as content goes. Yep. Um, so Spotify doesn't allow you to leave a review, so you can head on over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or even just drop us a tweet with a little, you know, at your queer story or hashtag queer shin or something, and... Leave us a review or share our podcast however you like. Yeah. And um, you can also go to our Patreon and subscribe for as low as $3 a month. We have some exclusive content on there for our Patreons. Um, We put that up as Um, it comes. Yes. And I was just going to add to that. Our Patreon, we kind of talk a little bit more behind the scenes. And we do get very personal on the podcast. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the more, more personal stuff is on the Patreon um, yeah, because we're not, you know, including personal stories in an episode. We're actually dedicating like 15 minutes to us discussing our lives. So yeah. if you want to get to know us a little better, that's where you do that at. Yep. And you also any money that goes on the Patreon uh, goes to support the podcast and it goes to support the other work that we do through the podcast, such as support groups, helping people. Um, and there's more on that coming. Uh 
in the future. I can't talk about it now. But uh, as far as efforts of helping people, there's some really good stuff in the works and a much bigger platform than done before. So anyways, but yeah, so you go to the Patreon, you can support us and get access to exclusive content and whatever else we throw up there. You can help us save souls. Help us save souls. Save. 10% of your paycheck tithe to your queer story. <laughs> Support the um, continued growth of the podcast so that we can continue to bring more questions on board. Mm, good job. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> Didn't even grow up in the IFB and it's like you did. I could do it easy. Oh, it's yeah. so fucking bullshit and fake. It's all a facade. <laughs> like It's so easy to see through. I can do it all day. I can run a whole radio network. Yeah. Just and uh, But it, I'll be like the Delilah of... Um, the IFB the, of Christianity. <laughs> there you go, Delilah. So Paul, once we're done with this series, he's gonna leave here and he's gonna find himself. I'm sure they won't stone you to death or anything. Just right next to one of the IFB churches, open up a Christian church. Definitely exactly. wouldn't get vandalized, burned down. Definitely yeah. wouldn't get the word uh, the trigger word. warning fag. <laughs> Spray painted on the side. None of that. Nothing like that. Would Absolutely happen. not. You won't go missing. There's no, no way. No. By the way, if I ever go missing, I did not disappear voluntarily. <laughs> Just so everybody knows that. Paul, yeah, you always got to put that disclaimer out. Ever since Carol Baskin claims that her son, her yeah, husband just yeah. voluntarily disappeared. Just, I don't know where he went. And his will suddenly, after he disappeared, said he went. If he went missing, I don't it's know how crazy. that got there. He just changed his will, left everything to me, and took off as one does. <laughs> <laughs> anyways all right we got yeah so we got a lot to talk about well we do because it's gonna be split up <laughs> we're gonna take it chunks at a time do you want to start or you want me to start you can go ahead and start because you are more personally connected to i this am story. very personally connected this is to this very, story this is gonna be like so when you hear or see something that Evan writes, you're like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> That's right. For all the people that have asked me questions, I'm going to give you three episodes on this. And now you know, I've explained it as thoroughly as possible. I've gone back the last 100 years to explain this shit. Okay, folks. All right. Today, we are going to deep dive into the world that I belong to for the first 23 years of my life, a world that many consider bizarre yet harmless, while others, often those who have left this type of environment or similar ones, recognize the lasting impacts of the IFB on local communities and the United States as a whole. It should be noted up front that this is an overview of the independent fundamental Baptist and that we do not have time to devote a full history of the movement, nor are we the appropriate platform to present such a detailed narrative, although we do, we are going to do pretty well. And I will say there is uh, the Preacher Boys podcast, which is available on Spotify. If you are a fundamentalist, um, a, an ex-independent fundamental Baptist, IFB, new IFB, I really, really encourage you to check out Preacher Boys. Um, you can also check out PreacherBoysDoc.com um, because he interviews people from the IFB. Uh, it's not even every week. He just constantly drops episodes. But he is the first person in probably 20 years who has done such a, a deep and thorough exploration of survivors of the IFB. Now, is he an ex-IFB member? or He is. I think he's having his own evolution because he was coming out of the IFB when he started the Preacher Boys. It started because he wanted to do a documentary on the IFB. And Preacher Boys is a term that is often used in the IFB mm -hmm. and also in the evangelical world. And but even though, But even though he was leaving the IFB, he still... W 
like it's it's a long time waking up. Like even when you leave, you don't just realize what you've been mm-hmm. through. You don't for years. And as he is throwing himself into all of these interviews, he is quickly realizing what all he actually lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very good. But so Preacher Boys, um, giving him a free plug, he's doing a really great work. So. However, we will focus on five figures who have been among the most instrumental in perpetuating the IFB's hate against queer and marginalized communities. We will also track the trajectory of mounting hate over the last 100 years. From veiled threats against queer people in the name of anti-communism to the demand today that LGBTQ people be put to death. While most churches and organizations have declined in their activism against the queer population, the IFB has only become more aggressive. So now, let us dive into a history of arguably the most anti-LGBTQ group in America today. And before we go any further, I want to say that it is very important that everyone is aware of how anti-LGBTQ they are, Mm -hmm. and not to just kind of brush it under the rug, because as we see in Poland, I don't know if you've kept up Mm -hmm. with that, but... The president who talked about the rainbow plague just got reelected and he's trying to write into their constitution, I believe it was, or he might just be trying to write a law that basically bans same sex marriage and adoption. Oh, yeah. So they never had it legalized. It was just mm-hmm. kind of never in law, but now they're trying to like ban it officially in legality. And it's because of, I believe, the Catholic Church over there. Yeah. And so it's very important that we are aware of hate that large religious groups are spreading, especially within our own country, because all it takes is someone like Trump getting elected, reelected, or someone even worse coming along in the next four to 16 years to get elected by this group of people. And then now we're in the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what the IFB would love. They would love the Handmaid's Tale. I've told, said before that I don't watch the Handmaid's Tale because... Well, a lot of people think it is like funny and oh my gosh, what if this happened? That's like I the things they say, the things they do, that is exactly the world that the independent fundamental Baptists envision. Um, and and they, it's really odd to me because they, it's like they stepped up to fill, fill a void. Like as America became more accepting of queer people, the IFB became more aggressive in their tactics it went Mm -hmm. from you know you're just one of the groups that we hate to you are the group we hate the most our story begins with a man who never picketed a pride event and never heard the term gay in his life yet the movement created by j frank norris paved the way for the ifb today some would consider norris the father of the independent fundamental baptist he was certainly a founding father of the movement born in alabama and of course it was fucking alabama (laughs) Shut up. Hey, Texas is a real criminal in this one. Born in Alabama in 1877, Frank grew up in the poverty-ridden South, an area still reeling from the failed Reconstruction era. Like many around them, the Norris family struggled to make ends meet, and the hardships were made worse by the fact that Frank's father was a raging alcoholic. Warner Norris often beat his young son and was even responsible for getting Frank shot at the age of 14. Perhaps it was his desire to find a place of belonging that led him to a Baptist revival meeting in 1890. He looks so typically American in that picture. Literally, um, every guy in the IFB until we get to Steve Anderson looks exactly like J. Frank Norris. That's a little... Jack Hiles looks a little different, but Norris and Roloff, and I didn't get Roloff in here, look like identical. And then you get to Fred Phelps, a Westboro Baptist, same thing. Just... 
just it's the same man he's just like the he's just like dracula he's just staying alive this whole would time would it be surprised that would actually if you were like a dracula you could start the best religion because you would just pretend like you're a new leader every time but you just keep teaching the same ideologies over and over and you're like it's a new generation of people who got to keep the mind wash going sounds like fundamentalism to me i think you're on to something paul yeah, i'm on to something There's just a, there are vampires coming back in the united states <laughs> For those who don't know, revival meetings are often three to seven day long affairs in which pastors and evangelists preach for several hours every night in an attempt to save lost souls, aka anyone who does not follow their brand of faith. That's that's how I uh, got into the Baptist college because I gave my life to God during a revival service. Was it so? Are you with these people all day or you just show up at night and you do the praying? Totally depends on the, the revival service. Like there are services that would go on all day long. And then there, but mostly like the standard revival is like at night. So when people are done with work, they could go to the services at night and then you'd sit there for like two to four or five hours with just one guy up there screaming about how we're all going to go to hell and you got to get right with God and you're all wicked. And then afterwards they have what's called an altar call and that's where they sing and you go down to the front and you pray and you cry and you tell everyone I'm wicked and then you make some big declaration about this what you're going to do. This does not sound like every cult I've ever heard of <laughs> in my life ever by any means. It's totally different. It's, it's not totally a cult. totally different. Not a cult. Oh my God. I think I just broke my ankle. No, not really. Um, but no, I listen to a lot of true crime, true crime and murder podcasts, and every cult they're like, they they were really weird. Every day they would get together and they just pray for five hours. How does anybody pray for five hours? And then they'd all be screaming and crying. And I'm like, wow, sounds a lot like a cult to me. <laughs> Initially, these are informal events that included a person walking to the center of a town and beginning to preach against the wickedness of those living in said town. Hey, you did that too. <laughs> Whether the preacher had ever actually been to the area before or knew anything about the community did not matter. You just get anybody and just walk in. But like, yeah, I don't know, Jonesboro. And you'd be like, to- all right, everybody in Jonesboro, listen up to me. I got something to tell you. I'm going to go to the middle of Cranston <laughs> in the intersection of uh, by Garden City. Exactly. Just stand there. In the middle of the road, have a Bible. Just start telling them, you're a drunk, you're a whore, you're a slut. Whether the preacher had ever actually been to the area before or knew anything about the community didn't matter. In this vein of religion, all people were wicked and lost. The eras would later be... The eras? These eras. So this this is before... This is like right around the time... Um, this is like 1800s mm-hmm. to the 1900s. These eras would later be known as the First and Second Great Awakening and the First... And First Flame... And First Fanned the Flames of the Modernist fundamentalist split that began to appear on the horizon of America's Protestant communities. So we're going to use some terminologies here and sorry, but you, you got to have it to understand it. You don't think you need to know this, but you do. Or maybe you don't and you can just ignore this for the next like two minutes. In 1891, Charles Augustus Briggs was appointed as professor of biblical theology at the Union Theological Seminary. During his inaugural address, Briggs represented the new school view on the doctrine of higher criticism. We will not bore our listeners with a dissection of this theological debate. In essence, Briggs stated that the Bible was not the literal word of God and that history being taught about the about the Bible was wrong. This point of literalism is crucial as it directly relates to the way the IFB justifies their treatment of the LGBTQ plus today. 
The Briggs Affair was the first official rift in the fundamentals desire to split away from mainstream religion. Like, I cannot tell you how important this was because if you believe that the Bible is literally true, that really, like, then you believe when the Bible says that gay people should be stoned and put to death. You believe that. You believe that people who divorce should be excommunicated from the church. That's very different than if you believe, like, this is a guide that teaches us and we can glean from it what we want. Briggs was saying, the Bible is a guide. There's a lot of metaphors. And my fundamentalists were like, fuck that. The Bible is true. Every single fucking word of it. Which is a very... The thing that... I have always thought was so bizarre about the Bible being taught as a an essential life guide, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what churches do. This is yeah. your life guide. This is read this and you'll understand how to live and be successful and become godly. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is it was originally written in a different language so fucking long ago it was then (laughs) translated by somebody who had their own intentions in mind it was then again translated by somebody who had their own intentions in mind and then it was then again translated by some king right king richard or something king james king james wow (laughs) king james who had his own intentions who was gay who had his own intentions of controlling his subjects in mind. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, wow, this is the word of God. It's only been translated by like 30,000 people. It definitely <laughs> didn't change any since the original writing. No, what's be- what's great about it is that it's actually made up of, of so many different books. It so is. It's like not even one author. It's dozens of authors. You don't know who half the authors are. Uh, half the people that are given names and saying like, oh, this guy wrote that book. We know that they didn't write the book, which was also a thing that Briggs was saying where he was like, okay, that you're saying that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and I'm telling you he did it and people are like how dare you even though those books like spread across that's that's what I mean like none of it makes sense how are you coming like what (laughs) I know I know and then and then you take in the fact that when they finally got to the King James version of the Bible they threw out a bunch of the books because they're like if we do these books it'll be such a conflict with the other books that nobody will believe it there's already so many conflicts within the bible <laughs> as it is but they're like we can't make it well, worse. all of these other books are com- totally opposite we just got to get rid of them those aren't god's teachings god's teachings are only the teachings that i want you to learn sounds like a plan to me <laughs> i am a christian preacher i will make you not understand anything and make you feel like you're stupid for it and then i can control you and then i will tell you how to live <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so the second rift in the fundamentalist modernist split came over the argument of evolution and was led by the new fundamentalist celebrity, J. Frank Norris. After his conversion to the Baptist faith, young Norris had gone off to a seminary seminary mm-hmm. had gone off to a seminary and earned his degree in theology. He then pastored a few small churches before ending up at the congregation. He would eventually turn into an early pr- predecessor of the mega church the churches that take all the money and have all the jets and planes and their uh, followers are poor and giving all their money to them yep it was at the first baptist church in fort worth texas that J- that j frank norris really began to make a name for himself but mostly in a bad way the 32-year-old preacher was arrogant, loud, and uninterested in listening to anyone who didn't agree with him. Sounds about right. <laughs> he was against just about any form of progressive values of the early, of the early 20th century, including women's suffragette, immigration, rights to black, indigenous, and Latino people, and an assortment of other stances that policed or denied the rights of others. Norris also had a particular hatred of Catholics and blamed them for everything wrong with America. Catholics were the gays of his time, as LGBT, 
LGBTQ people were so discriminated against in the early 1900s that pointing out Norris's hatred of queer people is a moot point. However, he set in motion today's fundamentalist movement. And before we go any further, how like great was this man in your church? Like, was oh, he? Yeah. Were there like statues of him or like paintings? Like, was he like almost godly in he, the church? He was. He was not. There were not statues of him. There were um, some paintings at the college. He was a very much a hero of my leader, who was Jack Hiles, who we'll cover next week. Um, and there were there were other guys that were a little closer to our time because you know remember I'm at, I'm at under Hiles' reign in the '90s and through the 2000s. So by that time, they had leaders from like the '80s and mm. the '70s that they were really idolizing. Maybe the '60s. Norris big time was really in the 1920s into the 1930s. So he was a hero, but he wasn't as strong a hero as some of the more modern uh, guys. Um, but I, I just want to point out again, he was like, they've people have written today about how J. Frank Norris would have felt about homosexuality. He would have definitely been against it. It just wasn't in the twenties. You couldn't like, you just, nobody didn't was have. out. Who and was, nobody nobody was knew out. what gay you was. Couldn't be. I think they knew what gay was, yeah, but, but, but you couldn't. Yeah. Nobody was actually gay. It was just, yeah. you know, it was like, a little the, funny. <laughs> yeah. They're a real funny guy. <laughs> He's a dandy. A typical Sunday at First Baptist of Fort Worth was a mixture of part service, part circus. He, Fort Norris, planned elaborate shows with animals, speakers, and huge choirs, followed by hours of Norris's screeching sermons. They love to screech. Fundamentalists love it. They just get real red, and they yell into the microphone like full mouth open. Love it. The purpose was very clear. J. Frank needed the attention and a trapped audience to feed his ego. In some ways, the services remembered TV evangelist stars today who perform fake healing ceremonies and throw their crowd into a wild frenzy. Those are my favorite. I love watching those <laughs> on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a Norris service. Like, he would just do outrageous things. Like, it was in the, you know, during the era of Prohibition, he'd be like, we have 50 bottles of liquor that we confiscated from a bootlegger and we're going to bring them and show them to you all. And he just line up bottles of liquor and people are like oh my god my stars exactly just filled up they're actually empty literally would not be surprised (laughs) if he just found the bottles filled them with water and sat them there like wouldn't be put it past norris at all uh when he was putting on a show he was either wasn't when he wasn't putting on a show he was either openly berating the sins of the individual church members or inciting the rage of the congregation by blasting the sins of the community at large Norris was one of the pioneers of creating a spectacle out of religion, and his biggest tools were controversy and hate. In 1912, the now 35-year-old preacher faced a jury for the first time when he was accused of burning his own church to the ground to collect the insurance and build a bigger auditorium. The fire had conveniently happened just as Norris was feeling the pressure of his empty bank account. FBC of Fort Worth was growing, but J. Frank hadn't truly hit his stride in popularity. In fact, he was cutting off community support left and right, and he had started name-calling local officials and airing their dirty laundry in his services. (laughs) He would be literally like, Gina Raimondo, she is a whore. I can imagine a church doing that. Oh, yeah. No, he would be like, he's like, and I just, and uh, I hate to talk about people. I really do. But, uh, and every fundamentalist also does it. I hate to talk about people. I don't like to gossip. But I'll tell you what, the owner of the largest grocery store, he has a mistress. And I know he has as a mistress and this is where she lives and if you support that man and that grocery store and his mistress then you are also culpable to their adultery oh my god just have the um the poor 
unknowing people that would like stand out there, the six of them with the sign, <laughs> picketing. Picketing, like, don't come here. Yeah. I don't know if they Didn't were Didn't that happen yet. at the store you ran in? What in Indiana? Oh yeah, yeah. This the when I in Indiana, yeah, at our place, we'd have a couple people on the street corner picketing the the church. <laughs> uh, no, I meant church people picketing the businesses. Oh yeah, like yeah. The we picketed the businesses. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they just look completely insane <laughs> in their little skirt. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, poor things. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, you're like, but they're even uh, with all, okay. But even with all the circumstantial evidence, there wasn't enough to convict Norris out of the fire, and he was acquitted of the arson. Seventeen years later, he would again find himself in a bind. Again, his church and home would conveniently burn to the ground, and again, he would be acquitted of all charges. <laughs> I don't know why my houses and churches just keep burning down. It's not a god, an act of God. It's an act of the devil. He's trying to convince. He's trying to manipulate you into thinking I'm a bad man, but I'm really not a bad man. Just give me all your money and follow me. Exactly. And guess what, everyone? We get a big auditorium and I get to build an addition to my house. Yep. Very convenient. It was during those 17 years that Norris transformed from a hick Southern preacher into a national sensation. He built the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas into the world's largest Sunday school, due in a large part to the support and funding of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, they're not racist, though. They're not. Absolutely They're not, not racist. They just got all their money from the KKK. Mm-hmm. It was convenient. They showed up with their masks and they wanted to give them money. They're not racist, though. They're not. Absolutely not. Many suspected Norris himself as being a Klan member, and he certainly adored the KKK. But he's not racist. Absolutely not. No, he would never be racist. He, he, he was a man of God. He witnessed a black person once, so that yes. means... He's not yes, racist. Absolutely. In addition to his church, the preacher also started the first radio ministry in America, launched his own newspaper, and went on trial again, this time for murder. Whether or not J. Frank Norris had killed a man was not a question. There was ample evidence, witnesses to cooperate, and Norris proudly admitted his actions. The question was whether it was self defense or cold blooded murder. Dexter Chips was a victim, a local Catholic, and a friend of the mayor who had gone to to Norris's office to confront the preacher about Norris's constant attacks on Mayor Meacham. However, J. Frank claimed that Chips came to murder him and shot the man in the back as Chips was leaving the pastor's office. The trial was a nationwide story and attracted journalists and readers from across the country, and yet in the end, Norris was once again acquitted. You know, I wonder if conveniently his church members were the jury. Did you, no, they weren't. They 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 pulled in people, and I don't remember because I did read about. I read the there's a book that I recommend in here as one of our resources. It's called The Shooting Salvationist. Um, but I just remember so Norris had become more paranoid, which often happens with cult leaders, right? As they get more power, they become more paranoid. They don't want to lose it. This is what they built. This is theirs. Exactly. And there was an instance where he claimed that someone had fired on him. In his office once, which people also suspected that he had like just shut out his own windows. I don't know, because you never could believe anything that Norris said. You never knew. So Chips came that night and he had no gun. Norris said that he saw a brown paper bag or someone said they saw uh, Chips carrying a brown paper bag and it could have had a gun in it. Norris said that Chips threatened his life. And so then when Chips left, he shot him. Because he's like, well, he's going to come back and kill me if he doesn't kill me now. Like, didn't even say that Chips was trying to kill him right then. Just said, he'll probably try to kill me one day, so I'll just kill him now. Just get done with. <laughs> exactly. Take care of my business today. We don't got to worry about it. There's nothing. There's not, <laughs> no chance that this man will ever kill me as long as I take him out right now. Exactly. Well, that, with that logic, you're right. <laughs> you're right, Jay Frank. And you know what? The jury fucking bought it because he was acquitted. Gee, that's. 
Yeah. That's a lot. Is it me or you? It's you. As we said, controversy and hate are what made J. Frank Norris so notorious and his methods would be adopted by his most ardent followers, such as the men we will cover later in the episode. But the career-defining stance of J. Frank Norris and the issue that birthed the independent fundamentalist Baptist movement was the subject of evolution. The term fundamentalist was coined in 1920 just as the controversy around evolution in the U.S. was reaching a fever pitch. Scholars, along with the majority of Christian believers, supported Darwin's theory and supported it being taught in public schools. This was the, gl- this was the group that Charles Briggs had represented when he approached a literal interpretation of when he reproached, when he reproached a literal interpretation of the Bible, it was the center of the debate in the Protestant world, and those who believed that every word, deed, and timeline in the Bible was literal and true were defined by what they called the five fundamentals. Eventually, they broke away from mainstream religion into the new fundamentalists, which explains that you actually believed every single story in the Bible when you first came out. That's true. I because I was floored. <laughs> that you actually believed everything because every other person I had known growing up that went to church was like, yeah, these are stories, but we take them and we learn from them. Yeah. But like you were so different because like you were like, no, that's real life. Like this man actually lived in this whale's tongue or on this whale's tongue. <laughs> in, no, in this whale's in belly. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I did. I really yeah. believe And that. that's the crazy, like to me, that's so, I don't want to say crazy because that's real. That's the so like mind boggling to me yeah. that you're actually could live in the United States and be taught such false history. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and that it was true. Yeah, exactly. When I met Paul, I mean, like, all of it. Like, Noah's Ark, mm-hmm. all those people. The world was populated by Adam and Eve and their two sons. All of that. So the Bible, they believed that the Bible placed the earth at 6,000 years old. Created, the earth was created in seven days and populated by Adam, Eve, and their two sons. Later, a great flood destroyed every other human on land. Noah, his wife, and three sons and their wives all repopulated the earth and created black people. The racist myth is born in the equally homophobic story of Noah's son, Ham, getting his father drunk, raping his father, and then being cursed with black skin for his sin of sodomy. This is the story that fundamentalists clung to as absolute truth and continue to believe to this day. Like, people don't realize. Like, today yes, in 2020. Yes, that's what is so shocking about yeah, it. Yeah, this is what people believe. They believe that that literally all of this. And they are taught, like, they go to these church schools and mm-hmm. they are taught this. They're not taught evolution. They're not taught nope. any type of truth in the world. They are taught their own version of truth and they come out of school believing that that is the real truth in the world and that's why there are some people that you just cannot change their mind or opinion because this is their truth this is what they know exactly exactly and the thing about it is that um they they are also taught that a lot of the world either believes this or that satan has deceived much of the world and so that's why much of the world doesn't believe doesn't believe these things. Mm-hmm. So again, there's always a reason when you yeah, question them. Yes. When you question them and ask them, you know, uh, like, why doesn't the rest of the world believe us? They always have an answer. And when it's all, you know, and you've been brainwashed and every leader in your life, and believes your, this, your parents and your grandparents or mm-hmm. your cousins, you know, everybody is in everyone, involved. you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. All your friends. Yeah, exactly. Everyone you know, every book you read, everything, because they censor everything too, mm-hmm. which is a big thing, obviously. Um, we'll get to that. So um, 
They, the, this belief also complemented the deep racism that has always ex- existed in the IFB. It was therefore impossible, actually, and I didn't even get into this about how deep the Klan ties are rooted in the IFB. I mean, the, the Ku Klux Klan and the Independent Fundamental Baptists are intertwined to this day. It is therefore impossible for them to support evolution, IFBers, to support evolution because the theory denounced every part of their creationist beliefs. While many Christians found a way to reconcile their faith with science, fundamentalists chose to reject science altogether and broke away from mainstream Christianity, with J. Frank Norris helping to lead the way. In 1923, after being snubbed by the Southern Baptist Convention for the second year in a row, Norris declared himself an independent fundamental Baptist and added the Southern Baptist to his long list of enemies. <laughs> that same decade, the subworld of the IFB was launched when Bob Jones Sr. stated, started Bob Jones University in 1927. Several years later, Norris and a group of other IFB leaders established the Fundamentalist Baptist Bible Institute, later called Arlington Baptist College. While most other denominations are connected through membership to a convention or fellowship that answers to a governing body, the IFB has always been connected through its education system. As George Martson wrote in Fundamentalism in American Culture, since dispensationalists lacked any clear view of the organized church above the local level, the Bible Institute's played a major role in giving them some unity. It makes sense that the IFB's rejection of the public education system would create a void and thus a reason to connect. For the last 100 years, fundamentalists have claimed to be solely independent of one another, and yet they train in each other's schools and colleges, send their congregants to teach and lead in these schools and colleges, glean all of their information from these institutes, and use the web of connections to cover up the trails of predators and abusers. They staff their colleges and schools with underpaid or non-paid followers, brainwash their children from birth, and weed out the troublemakers early by sending them to to their homes for troubled teens. And this is kind of what we were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and that's and I love that Marsden th- pointed that out. Um, his book is a little dry, but it's good because you know it's true. Like the, the like when you think like the Catholic Church, like everyone reports back to the Vatican. In in any other convention, like the Southern Baptist Convention or the Lutherans, Methodists, they all have conventions or congregants every year, and they come and they have a governing body that oversees them. But in the IFB, they always claim autonomy. They always claim that they're so independent, but you're not really independent because. All your information is connected. And mm-hmm. whenever you someone causes a problem in your congregation, you just send them to another congregation. Right. You know, you just cover it up. So you are just as connected. You just don't have a governing body. Right. So that, you know, tries you let that free you from your duty to your constituents. Anyways. Constituents, your congregation. All right. This was the movement born in the 1920s, and it began over the IFB's refusal to admit the facts placed before them. With leaders like Norris, it is no surprise that this attitude became the standard for the fundamentalist world. Over the next three decades, J. Frank's popularity ebbed and flowed and then steadily declined in the 1940s when he was faced with a libel suit against another IFB pastor. The suit resulted in the only guilty ruling ever made against Norris, and he paid a $25,000 fine. But the publicity around the case caused support for Norris to fade. His last public stance was against the IFB's most feared boogeyman, communism, a term that in the 1940s and 50s was used interchangeably with the word homosexuality. In the public's mind, and certainly in the fundamentalist mind, every queer person was a communist and thus the greatest threat to the American way of life. 
The Kinsey Report was released just four years before Norris's death, bursting open the boundaries of conversation previously held around public talk of homosexuality. The first open protest by queer people would be held a few years after his death in 1952. Though Norris would have little to do with stifling the growing queer revolution, the next man did his best to destroy as many LGBTQ people as he could. We are now moving on to Lester Roloff. Um, who lived or is that his reigning period? That is his reigning period, 1950 to 1982. So I kind of put in these uh, dates of how long they were kind of in control of, war, yeah. of the IFB, yeah. Um, and before we get into Lester Roloff, I do we do want to give this uh, portion a trigger warning because we are going to be talking of extreme acts of violence, torture, and abuse. So, I mean, you can turn off this episode and hop on next if you don't want to be triggered too much, but you're probably going to be triggered by the next episode too, so... It's all triggering, but yes. this part talks about um, physical violence a yes. lot. so be prepared. Perhaps the most cruel man we will cover in our series is the man responsible for the torture and abuse of queer teens born into fundamentalism. Lester Roloff looked like the poster boy of a 1950s white supremacist, a title that suited him just fine. Born in Dawson, Texas in 1914, Lester was just six years old when J. Frank Norris took over the denomination newly named Fundamentalism. Yet like most children being raised in the South at the time, Roloff grew up a Southern Baptist and stayed with the denomination for the first half of his life. After graduating from the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Roloff pastored a few small churches across Texas. In 1944, following the footsteps of J. Frank Norris, Roloff established his own radio show called The The Family Altar. The program was a combination of Roloff's sermons mixed with spontaneous singing, which just sounds like he... Hey, maybe he had mental illness because that's some shit I would do. <laughs> I don't know. He just loved the sound of his own voice so much. He Same. just constantly did. <laughs> yeah. Literally, nobody creeps me out. They all creep me out, but uh, but Nor uh, Roloff really, uh, he turns my stomach. He was a really, really yeah. awful man. And I didn't even get that deep into it. Like, he was a really awful person. Again, the eagle of the fundamentalists raised its ugly head and Roloff began to make more enemies than friends when he started attacking other pastors and calling everyone who disagreed with him a communist. For a while, his radio show, which had been aired in 22 states at the time, was banned from the airways. Blaming everyone else for his exile, Lester split from the Southern Baptist Convention in 1956 and became an independent fundamental Baptist. He launched Roloff Evangelistic Enterprise and started touring the country preaching hosting the revivals that attracted so many to the IFB. Eventually, the preacher got his pilot's license and bought a plane, and over the next decade, he drove and flew across the country warning fundamentalists about communism, Catholics, evolution, and that growing problem of the homosexuals. This really sounds like a mental illness. Like, you're really this paranoid you bought a whole plane to fly across the country and warn people? <laughs> I don't know if that was a paranoid. Well, oh, yeah. You mean like he's like, he's just it's like, really urgent. I, I have to just, just been tried driving. Like running out of his house to the plane. He's just like getting in and just like flying across the country. I got to land people in Rhode Island behind They're like, wait for me, Lester. He's like, we got to go. We got to spread the message now. Everybody get in the plane. The I homosexuals. Sing. The homosexuals are coming. The homosexuals. Jesus Christ. Uh, just as a wave of queer liberation... Just as the waves of queer liberation were really beginning to spread across the nation, Roloff was on a journey to counteract the movement. He's like, I see the wave. We got to get there. We got to get ahead of the wave. (laughs) He established a mission for homeless men and later turned it into a quasi rehab for alcoholics and addicts, which, again, is another group that is really um, Mm -hmm. 
pulled in by the cults because they're vulnerable, they're weak, they're, you know, if they're to the point where they're living on the streets and they're broken, Mm -hmm. hey, this group of people, they picked me up, they took care of me, they got me sober, and now they're giving me a house and they're going to take care of me? What? Let me preach their word. Let me bring in other people like me. And it's just... Classic cult tactic. And what they would do in these missions is they will only feed you and let you have a bed if you go to their church Mm -hmm. service before, which is still an act that they, a practice that they do. So if you, if you go to our church services, you have to go to one every single day and listen to us tell you about our message then we'll feed you and we'll let you sleep here and if you don't do that then you can get the hell out and you can go back on the street where the fuck we got you from and enjoy your life exactly this work inspired lesser to start his first home for troubled teens in 1967 he launched anchor home for boys that year and the following year the rebecca home for girls was established followed by the bethesda home for pregnant teens i have a bethesda in my family like oh, long ago like oh. decades ago um the term troubled teen was often passed off to mean criminals and dope fiends, one of Roloff's favorite descriptions. The reality was a far different story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the extreme abuse of children has always been a hallmark of the IFB, even today. In the world of fundamentalism, children have no autonomy over their bodies and are taught to submit completely and immediately. Songs and children's stories about obedience begin the conditioning process during the toddler stage. Violence is the answer to every problem and even the slightest offense of forgetting to answer an elder with the response of yes sir or yes ma'am will often result in a beating. And parents are not the only ones who administer corporal punishment. In many IFB schools and in teen homes, parents sign a waiver allowing the institute leaders to hit their children as well. And though this process practice has been on the decline in the last 10 to 15 years due to government and community interference, Parents are still encouraged to administer violent punishment for the slightest infractions. So there's been a lot of reactions about like letting any Tom, Dick, and Joe um, hit your kid. And so like parents are kind of backed off on that. But Well, you know. I guess we can't just let the random stranger beat our child. I guess we'll have to do it ourselves. Guess we, got, we have to do everything ourselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the man we will cover next week, Jack Hiles, taught his people to begin hitting their children as soon as they could walk. It is no wonder that those born into the IFB only know how to answer any problem with violence. And doesn't he have a um, a speech or something about the rod, using mm-hmm. the rod? Oh, yeah. There's a whole thing. We're going to talk about it. All but right. the thing, As long as it's covered. That's oh, it's, co- oh it's covered. But the yeah, the thing about... Um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. There's, I'm not like... I'm not excusing anyone. I'm not. But it's also, again, understanding where this is from. So when you hear about how violent and aggressive people in the IFB are, remember this is generations of 
teaching incredible violence to children. I'm talking like you're using whatever you can find. You're using leather belts, switches from trees. You're using boards with holes drilled into them. And I mean, there, there are stories of parents who got in, they were told to hit their kid 30 times every time. There's, um, you hit your kid until you break their will, meaning that you just beat them until they beg for mercy. And this is an everyday occurrence. So this right. is not... For anything, they just answered the question quote unquote incorrectly exactly. and now they're getting their ass beat literally For anything you didn't get out of bed in time gonna beat your ass you and then uh, you know that you know a couple hours later again another beating and a couple hours later another beating so again i'm not excusing this but you can't expect people to be bred in such violence and not suddenly become such a violent group right because that's all they know that's all they know that's their whole life mm-hmm. this this fixation on child submission led many parents to label their child as wayward or lost simply because the young person was going through puberty or acting like a normal teenager like hiding ever levine cds Count- <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> countless so-called troubled teens were and still are sent to these homes because of depression anxiety bad attitudes or having the worst sin of the life premarital sex <clears throat> how dare they what fundamentalists are decidedly anti-psychology or psychiat psychiatry psychology or psychiatry yep and begin believe depression anxiety or add and adhd can be cured through beatings prayer and bible reading there's also a zero tolerance for sex there's also a zero tolerance for sex before marriage, and most have rules that forbid kissing or even touching another person intimately. More serious offenses include drinking, experimenting with drugs, attempting suicide, getting pregnant, being raped or assaulted, and being queer. Few teens were actually in the homes due to criminal record or real addiction, though that's how Roloff built his homes, and that's how they're still passed off today. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, so, like, you would have been sent to home, Paul. Oh, because... I uh, would have been. I would have been incarcerated in <laughs> not, the home. I would just... have been like the head boy at the home. I've been here for seventeen years, and I've never left. <laughs> I didn't even, was even thinking about the fact that you're gay. I just meant because you had like you know media, so yeah. they'd be like, oh, well, clearly you're a troubled teen. Yeah, because I would yeah. immediately they'd be like, Paul, have you read the Bible five times today? The <laughs> exactly. entire Bible. And like, you just don't understand. I can do everything that I ever wanted to do. I can live three days in one day, can't you? Yeah, and that, they, that's a demon to me that's what it sounds like yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's really sad actually because like the one i have like a couple tapes from my dad who died and and i love hearing his voice but the first one i ever put on like as soon as it started it's like and all of those damn psychiatrists who think they know things they don't know anything and i was like this is a wonderful way to remember you yeah <laughs> but that's like just like i in i went to one of their so-called rehabs and i'm in there and like there's a girl in there that was in there strictly because she was depressed mm-hmm. no other reason like never done anything in her entire life she was just a depressed girl she was there for over a year just like she just needed some help maybe some medication mm-hmm. maybe a therapist and guess what she would have been able to live a perfectly normal fine life yep and instead they just lock them up <laughs> So Roloff was just as much a showman as Norris was, and he loved to show off his Rebecca Holmes girls. He spun the tale of saving these poor girls from a life of prostitution and addiction. The Texas Monthly, which delivered a great report on this, reporting on Roloff's story more than 30 years later, added this quote from the evangelist who loved to tell the crowds he found the girls in jail houses, broken homes, hippie hives, and dope dives, walking through the wilderness of sin. 
He would bring the girls on the radio to give their testimony, which is a term for a story about religious redemption, and even created a quartet of some of the girls. The Honeybee Quartet would accompany Roloff on his travels, singing in churches, sharing their stories, and making Lester look like a saint. At the end of the services or radio programs, the girls also helped in asking for funds to keep the homes open. Fundamentalists obliged by sending their jewelry, wads of cash, and anything of value that could help Lester Roloff in his ministry of salvation. But while the wool was pulled down hard over the eyes of Roloff's supporters... Local authorities and community activists were quickly alarmed by the things they saw and heard about town. Five years after the Rebecca home was opened, the first allegation of abuse was levied against ref- the reformatory. Re- against the reformatory, parents visiting homes visiting the home witnessed a young girl being whipped and reported the abuse to authorities. When social workers attempted to enter the home of Roloff, blocked. Oh, they enter the home. Roloff blocked their path and declared separation of church and state. Still, at least 16 former prisoners of the Rebecca home came forward to give sworn affidavits of Roloff's abuse. The story could rival the most terrifying horror films. Girls reported that they were brought into the homes and stripped of all possessions and rights. They were told when to get up, when to go to sleep, when to eat, and when to urinate. The slightest act of disobedience or offense would result in physical abuse. Bibles were the only reading material provided and daily memorization of memorization. And daily memorization of verses was required. Failing to recite their memorizations without error ended in a whipping. Girls were chained to drainage pipes and beaten with leather straps or wooden paddles. One girl testified that a single whipping left inch-high welts all over her body. Another form of torture were the isolation cells, where girls were locked for days, denied food, and forced to listen to Roloff's sermons on loop. One victim remained in lockup for a month. The smell of the room was so bad that it leaked out into the hallway. That definitely doesn't sound like a cult. Definitely nope. not a nope. cult. No. Nope. That's how that's people just, always treat the, their followers. It's just a great Christian household. That's all. Isn't and that the, what you do? But the thing is that, again, remember, these are people who are not, these are not criminals. Like, he's just always trying to pass it out. These are just like addicted teens, and right. they're you not. You have to beat the sin out of them. Right. But these are regular teenagers that did regular teen things. Mm-hmm. They talked back to their parents. They, uh, you know, found, were caught kissing their boyfriend or girlfriend. The most terrifying thing of this, besides the abuse, is if they were sending uh, people with mental illness here, like myself, if I had gone through this, I know the way I would have reacted in a mania would Mm -hmm. have been, it would have been psychotic because I'm experiencing this manic episode, you're beating me and, or forcing me into this room, locking me away, like I know, I would have probably killed myself because of the combination of mental illness and the beatings. Like my mind would have just been spinning and spinning and spinning and it would have just Mm -hmm. been, I might've even killed them all before I took my own life. Like it could have ended very, I don't want to say crazy, but it could have ended very crazy. It's honestly shocking to me that nobody, as far as I know, nobody has ever gone in and just shot up the place with the amount of abuse that the kids, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is skimming the surface. This is just one of the main um, stories because it made it, uh, it turned into a huge national story, but there are thousands of stories. You can, I put a link in here to one of the victim sites. You can just read, I mean, atrocious things. Kids, and again, uh, like you go back to how like you would have tried to kill yourself. People were sent to these homes because they originally tried to kill themselves because their fundamentalist home was so bad. And then they tried to kill themselves. So their family sends them here rather than to a hospital. And there are countless stories of kids trying to kill themselves in these environments. And then 
the abuse just and be then oh you thought you up. were gonna try to kill yourself here mm-hmm. oh, oh how let's dare. really beat it out of you exactly it just was horrible just the mentality behind it Despite Roloff's resistance, the testimony of survivors was enough to bring him before court. The fundamentalist arrogantly defended his abuse to the judge, infamously saying, Better a pink bottom than a black heart. To which the attorney general retorted, I'm more concerned with the bottoms that are black, blue, and bloody. Though he was fined and served a whopping five days in jails, the homes remained opened. In the late 1970s, Roloff refused to renew his license for the homes, claiming the government had no right to oversee his his reformatories. He distributed pamphlets that showed a girl strapped to a cross while Roloff stood beside her. He sold his story of martyrdom, telling folks, It's not a 64-year-old preacher that's being crucified by the state licensing requirements. It's little boys and girls. Comparing himself to Christ yeah. and being a martyr because he's not allowed to beat children senselessly. How could you tell me I can't beat these children from an inch, in an inch of their life? Is that the phrase? Uh, within an w- inch within of their, an life. Inch of their yeah. life. The resistance eventually culminated into what fundamentalists dis- uh, dramatically called the Christian Alamo when the Texas Supreme Court formally ordered Roloff to obtain licenses in 1979 or face closure. The ev- ev- evangelist balked. He rallied thousands of protesters who made a human barricade along the 557-acre plot of land to stop law enforcement from entering the premises. After a three-day stalemate, Roloff and authorities reached a compromise when Lester agreed to send the girls out of state. Yet the battle was far from truly finished. Though Roloff was temporarily defeated, his movement sparked a wave of troubled teen homes um, created by IFB members across the country. Some sources have linked more than 30 facilities today to Lester Roloff. If the institutes weren't directly tied to the leader, they were certainly inspired by him. And there's actually more than 2,000 homes in the United States today. These were the ones that are like the very aggressive mm-hmm. one, aggressive ones that um, either were started by people who uh, followed Roloff. They, they follow his teachings. They have pictures of Roloff in their homes. Um, and many of these facilities have morphed through the years. So they really represent probably at least 100 facilities, but they move from state to state and they change their name. We in order, track them. Exactly, in order to evade being shut down. Mm-hmm. As Roloff bid his time finding ways around the restrictions and activism rising against his homes of horror, he continued his evangelist, his, he continued his evangelism. Around that time, neat, Around the time Anita Bryant launched her infamous anti-gay campaign, Roloff delivered his own anti-gay message. He declared homosexuality a sin of the coming apocalypse. He declared homosexuality a sign of the coming apocalypse in his sermon, The End Time Sign of Homosexuality, which is available on YouTube. I've linked it if you want to listen to that. If you want to be traumatized. (laughs) A long opponent of LGBTQ plus rights, Roloff had dedicated most of his time attempting to cure homosexuality in youth. By sending them to his homes. He planned on redoubling his efforts in the coming years, but was cut short. On November 2nd, 1982, Lester Roloff and three women from one of his homes died in a plane crash when Roloff decided to fly during a storm. I'm not saying he was smitten by God, but... I mean, literally, yeah. After his death, several followers took up Roloff's mission and expanded his ministry to the hundreds of homes that have opened and often been shut down in the 38 years since his death. Next week, we will continue our coverage of the IFB with the story of J. Frank Norris, fanboy, and Lester Roloff's good friend, Jack Hiles. 
Your recommended resources are Trapped, The Alex Cooper Story, available on Hulu, and The Shooting Salvationist, J. Frank Norris, and The Murder Trial That Captivated America by David Stokes. So there we go. Two guys out of the way. Um, we hope we traumatized you enough. <laughs> Come uh, back next week for more. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, take and listen to something a little lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just my kids. In if the you hear screaming children in the background, we promise they're not in a horror house. No, they're not being beaten. They're <laughs> this isn't just a home for troubled teens. <laughs> they're just screaming. The scream. They're just enjoying life. Um, but what was I going to say? Listen to something lighthearted. Um, Taylor Swift's new album is very soothing. If you haven't listened to it, it is very, it's very like, relaxing. Like, it took me a long time to get through because I had to keep stopping because there wasn't an upbeat song to like split it up. <laughs> You know, usually yeah. they mix that into kind of, okay, let's break the mood up. It's very chill. Um, I actually listen. It's funny because I listened to that album all while I was writing this because I like, I need something that's like background. It's soothing. And it's a great background mm-hmm. album. So I just put it on and it just like played in the background. Yeah. What else is really lighthearted that people can go and listen to or watch right now? Because they're going <laughs> to need it after that. Um, <laughs> Pretty much nothing in the current world. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm you can't sorry. even escape with Harry Potter because J.K. Rowling is a horrible person. You can't believe uh, in the middle we dropped this in the middle of pandemic. I'm sorry, you're depressed. You know what? We're embracing the darkness now. You, the greatest works come out of the darkest times, and that's right. Uh, take it for what it is. Maybe put on your favorite pop album and take a nice bubble bath. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, if you do read or watch or uh, listen to The Shooting Salvationist, it's also available on Audible. Um, it's actually, I found it a fun book just because it's, I'm so far removed from J. Frank Norris and he cracks me up mm-hmm. because he's just so ridiculous. His life is just insane, the things he does. And so, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's not super lighthearted, but I think it's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, if you're looking for a book, want something different i'm reading um touched with fire which is about mania and artists and creators who were touched with fire Mm -hmm. so that when i heard the title i was like that is the best way to describe how i feel yeah um it's good great i'm gonna give it to evan so we can learn after (laughs) yeah exactly um but yeah, stay queer. Don't go lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. Our little succulent sapphists. Don't go to uh, one of these houses and... Don't send your kids to a teen home. Yeah, don't, please. Um, stay queer. Resist the oppressors. We resist the oppressors, our proud homegrads. Have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And a black... sodomy revival. Oh, there you go. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Bye. Uh, bye. <laughs> Jesus. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.